us for, for your presence. Those that might be visiting with us, thank you for being with us tonight as well. And those that are watching online, we're always grateful for you and the opportunity that you're having to be able to watch us online as well. That song we just sang, I want to be ready to meet him in the glory land. I hope that you was able to sing that with the heart of believing that you're doing everything possible to want to meet him in the sky, to meet him in glory land. So many songs that we've already sung tonight that suggest that opportunity that God has given us to want to be with him altogether. We often sing this song, I need thee, oh, I need thee every hour. I need them. But do we really need the Lord? I hope so. But do we need, really need the Lord every moment of our lives? Does our daily behavior suggest that we do, in fact, always need Him, need the Lord? Are we convinced that the words of Jeremiah are true, that, oh, Lord, I know that it is not in man, in himself, that walketh to direct his own steps, Jeremiah 10, 23. And so tonight we want to look at completely trusting in the Lord. For such a time as this, do we fully trust in the Lord? Well, in whom or in what do we really trust? In Jeremiah 17 and verse 5, it says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusted in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Obviously, complete trust in anything other than the one true God in this life is futile. And anything less than complete trust, I want you to understand, is condemning. But how do we demonstrate that full trust? And when should we demonstrate it? Well, complete trust in the Lord is demonstrated in a, a person's obedience, like in obeying parents, right? I mean, obeying God, very important. There's a reason that we should be obedient, not only to our parents, but to God especially, because obedience is one of the most basic and tangible ways that we can gauge whether or not we actually trust the Lord. You know, we can talk all day long about our trust, but there's a vast difference, if you will, between trust that is manifested in obedient service and trust that is just merely vocalized, right? In dealing with the hypocritical, unrighteous Pharisees, Jesus quoted from Isaiah in Matthew 15, 8. He said, these people draw near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but he says, their heart is far from me. That's interesting. You see, it's more vocal than it was trust, complete trust in the Lord. As was read just a few moments ago by Brother John in Luke six forty six. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? You're going to call me Lord, Master, 
over your life and yet you're not doing the things I've asked you to say. You're honoring me with your lips, but your heart is far, far, far from me. Mere lip service does not make sense. If one completely trusts in the Lord, then it only makes sense to do what he says, doesn't it? You know, it's easy to sing, oh, how I love Jesus. But Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. There's a lot of times when we sing these songs, I'm hoping that that we're reading the words for what it is. That we're taking into mind the, the scriptural elegance of those words that are teaching us as we sing. Words have meaning, right? So let's do all that we can to not only sing, oh, how I love Jesus, but also show it by doing his will. Complete trust in the Lord is not only demonstrated in a person's obedience, but also in a person's outlook. The fatalistic down-in-the-mouth approach to life is certainly not characteristic of a Christian, right? A Christian can say with confidence, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, Revelation 19.6. But in Matthew 6, 25 through 34, Jesus forbids worry to his followers. He says, why? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? You see, faithful saints may not have what they want or even what they think they need, but the Lord providentially cares for us. Complete trust in the Lord is clearly demonstrated in a person's acceptance of his obligation to the Savior. Not just obedience or outlook, but his obligation. You see, Jesus issues a a demanding invitation by saying, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's right. I mean Luke 9.23. For the average person today, the cross has little significance. In contrast, when Jesus said that his followers must take up a cross, the people of his day understood that that cross was an instrument of death. It was very real to them. If we're going to be followers of Jesus then we have an obligation to deny ourselves, that is, die to self daily, not a one-time thing, but daily, and be willing to suffer for him, but then to follow him. That is complete, total commitment, isn't it? Complete trust. Total commitment has been described as a commitment for which a person is willing to die. If something is worth dying for, Should it not be worth living for? I would think so. So we're obligated to make such a commitment. But what sort of times demands complete trust? Well, the answer to this question is not really complicated in any means. I mean, we always need to trust in the Lord completely at all times. There are, however, those times when circumstances make us more keenly aware of our personal inadequacy and our immense need for God. But it's in those times 
that we are especially reminded that we need to completely trust in the Lord. When times are turbulent and our world is just turned upside down, if you will, we need to trust in the Lord completely. I have to tell you, this, this past month has just been a blur. It, so much can happen within the past, well, two months, actually. Before you know it, there it is, boom, gone. Oh, wow, really? But if I didn't have complete trust in the Lord, I would not be able to endure. I, I, I can understand why people can get themselves to a point where they are so low and depressed to the point that, that they don't know what else to do. That's where we need our trust in the Lord, don't we? To know that he's going to take care of us, that he's going to build us up. He's going to lift us up. Even when times are turbulent, even when the doctor utters that word, cancer, your knees buckle when you hear that word. We need that complete trust in the Lord. When a mate says, I don't love you anymore. That is a time to trust in the Lord completely. Oh, it's often tempting to, to, in such turbulent times, to rely on conventional wisdom rather than divine wisdom. We all likely remember what we were doing back September 11, 2001. Of course, our children might, our grandchildren would not. But it's most likely that Job never forgot his September 11, on Job's black day, within a matter of moments, four different categories, four different messengers, informed him that he had lost 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, and more significantly, seven sons and daughters. Three daughters, seven sons and three daughters. But we find Job's response is amazing because when he received that message, this horrible news, you know what he did? He fell down on the ground and he worshiped. That's Job 1 and verse 20. He then proclaimed, blessed be the name of the Lord, verse 21. But in verse 22, we're told that in all of this, Job sinned not. He, he had every reason to shake his fist at God. But it wasn't God that did it. God allowed Satan to do it. He had every reason to shake his fist at his wife and his three friends. But he didn't. People today would have cussed you out for that. Would have, would have probably came back and shot you, murdered you. But see, their trust is not in the Lord where ours is, where Job's was. Because of all of those things that happened to him, he fell down on the ground and worshiped God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He provides an excellent example for us for such a time it is at times like these that we, as did Job, must completely trust in the Lord. In a time when we have no continuing revelation, we must completely trust in the Lord. 
the problem that was faced by the Jews to eliminate the Jewish people in the book of Esther. It's interesting. Wicked Haman, he conspired. He, he was trying to eliminate those Jewish people. And we know that at the end of the story, everything worked out well for the Jews. But in the midst of the problem, though, here's the key point. We do not read that a prophet came to them and exhorted them to be of good cheer because God would work everything out. All they had was that sacred record of redemptive history up to their time the incomplete Old Testament scriptures. And with that, they were able to hang on. With that, they were able to completely put their trust in the Lord and Him only. They could have been reminded of the way that God providentially worked in the life of Joseph, the way that God delivered the children of Israel from the bondage of Egypt. Whatever it was, they were able to look back in the past and know God will see them through. They knew that God was active, that God was alive, and God deserved their complete trust. Well, today, as in the days of Esther, we have no prophets. (laughs) No prophets that could walk us through our problems. But we do have divine guidance, don't we? Divine guidance is the sacred record of redemptive history, and it's right here in the complete scriptures. Because of that inspired history, we can know that God, through his providence, is active and alive and deserve our complete trust. In a time when we must be sacrificial, we need to completely trust in God. You see, serving God is probably one of the ways... That is the best way to live, as I was talking about this morning, true living. It's the best way to live, but it always demands a sacrifice. Always. Sometimes the sacrifices that we're called to make, they, they might be minimal, small, but sometimes they may be large. You know, when Esther determined that she must make whatever sacrifice was necessary for the Jewish people, she said, if I perish, I perish. Esther 4.16. Doing the right thing can be costly. It could demand the sacrifice of our very lives. In Daniel 3, we have Hananiah, Meshach, uh, Mishael, and Azariah, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel's three companions in Babylonian captivity refused to worship that golden image erected by the king when he warned that their continued disobedience to him would lead to their being cast into a fiery furnace, I want you to listen to their reply. It's interesting. Well, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from that burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not... Be it known unto thee that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Daniel three seventeen through 18. Much like Esther, if I perish, well, I perish. But my heart, my trust is complete in the Lord. 
You know, the only way to face a fiery furnace incident to, and to do the right thing is just to trust in the Lord completely. Regardless, put your trust in Him. He'll see you through. I heard about an eldership that was facing the possibility of being sued for exercising biblical discipline. The elders sat in a meeting together. They discussed the possibilities. Finally, one of them said, Brethren, I don't care if they sue us. We have to do the right thing. Kudos to him. At times like these, our trust in the Lord must be complete. In a time when everything is going well, the good times, we need to trust in God completely. You see, good times can be deceptively deadly. We can easily get the idea that we don't need the Lord. Everything's going well. You know, the Laodiceans were so happy. They were so self-satisfied. But it made the Lord sick. You see, they were lukewarm. They were neither hot nor cold. They were just muddling through. Happy and content. Our Lord said that they were destitute. Yet they thought they were wealthy and had need of nothing. Revelation 3.17. But physical wealth, well-being do not equal spiritual health and wealth and well-being. I, I like this line from Rutgerd Kipling's poem, If. If you can face triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same, that says a lot, doesn't it? Triumph, disaster, doesn't matter. You're going to treat them the same. Yes, success can be deceptive as failure. It is easy for us in the USA to become intoxicated with our success and unprecedented technological advances. But we will be wise always to bear in mind that the horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. Proverbs 21, 31. Could it be that most people in the world has a false concept of God? I believe so. Is our God a God of sickness, but not of health? Oh, we all think of God and depend on him when we're sick. We're asking him to help us, to heal us. But when things are good, did you thank him for the good times? We realize our need of him and expect him to help us in those times of sickness, but what about when we're well? Do we think of him then and expect his aid and health. You know, so, so often people ask me to pray for them when they're sick. But I've never yet had anybody to ask me to pray for them, to bless them while they're healthy. And to help them to use their health in the right way. Have you thought about that? Do we only need God? And does he only help when we're sick? Or can we depend on him at any time? Just as well when we are not sick. We must completely, you see the word completely here? We must completely trust in the Lord. Is there not more danger of my being lost while in good health than when I am sick? Most people think of God when we're sick, but multitudes forsake him while they're in their good health. Well, they don't need God then. We only need God when we're sick. 
No, you need God. Is our God a God of burdens, but not a God of comfort? That's interesting. We all turn to God when we have heavy burdens to bear. But what about when that life is without burdens? Or maybe when those burdens have been lifted, do we go back in prayer and say, God, thank you. Thank you for lifting those burdens. Do, you, do we think he ages when life is easy? I mean, why the difference in the number and earnestness of our prayers when life is burdened? And when life is easy, well, we might even forget to pray. Is our God a God of hard times but not one of prosperity? When we are faced with adversity and poverty, we turn to God. But what about when we're prosperous? Do we even think of God? Do we not need God just as much, if not more, in prosperity than we do in adversity? I think so. I think so. Because are we not in more danger of forsaking God when we have money in our pockets? Why pray so earnestly when we're broke for God's help, but then never mention our prosperity unless we have a God of adversity, but not prosperity? And if God can't be a God of prosperity, well, he won't be one of adversity. Is our God a God of gospel meetings, not of regular services? I mean, do we not pray and encourage every member to pray in preparation and during the gospel meeting? How often are announcements made in the interest of members praying for Sunday night services or Wednesday night Bible study? Do we not need them perhaps more on Wednesday night? than we even do during a big meeting? Do we expect him to hear us because we're having this big meeting? See, these are just things I want you to think about. As this year closes and the new year comes into being, that we need to put our complete trust in the Lord no matter what. Is our God a God of big responsibilities but not a God of little ones? If we have some big responsibility, we feel our need of God. But what about the little things from day to day? You know, the parable of the mustard seed shows that God is just as much interested in little things as he is in the big things. Mark chapter 4. Did not Jesus say that a cup of water given in his name would be rewarded? Is there not a danger that we will naturally feel our responsibility in big things? but not in the little things. And so do we not need God just as much in the little things as the big things? But is our God a God of the little as well as the big? Those are good questions that we have to ask individually. I know I'm talking to the wrong group because you're here tonight. But is our God a God of Sunday morning, but not of Sunday night? Do we not recognize God by coming to worship on Sunday mornings? Do we not show our need of Him and try to glorify Him by worship on Sunday mornings? Do we not need to worship Him just as much on Sunday night as on Sunday morning? I preach a different sermon. So we're learning something different. And the more we learn, the more we grow. Is our God a God of some commands but not a God of other commands? Do we accept what God says about the importance of faith while rejecting what he says about repentance, baptism? If so, do we not have one God of faith and another God of baptism, repentance? 
Do we have one God for the Lord's Supper, but not but another God for the giving? The contribution? How many want to be careful to follow what God says about the Lord's Supper, but refuse to half try to follow what he says about our giving? Have you thought about that? Are we as careful about our giving as we are of the Lord's Supper? You know, there was a time back in the day, and I, I believe it happened here. Since I've been here, we have always had it after. But there was a time when people, they had the Lord's Supper before the sermon. And as soon as the Lord's Supper was over, there was people going out the back door or front door, however way you want to look at it. They were walking out. Well, I've done my part. I took the Lord's Supper because I remembered him on that first day. But they didn't get anything from the sermon, from the teaching of God's Word. All they got was a prayer, a song or two, and the Lord's Supper. And they thought they were done. We need, we need to finish out the worship service. That's why there's a closing prayer. It's just as important for the closing prayer, for us to be there for the closing prayer. Not to go up and leave because we did our part. Well, we haven't closed out the service. Well, it's just important both ways, isn't it? If we have one God for both, would we not practice the same principles concerning both commands? Is our God a God, a Sunday God, but not a weekday God? Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Are we careful about our lives on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, as we worship our God on Sunday? Our our dealings with one another through the week, our language, our pleasures, our scriptural, as our worship on Sunday? If, that, if one does not this, if not, does this not suggest that we have a God of Sunday and another God for weekdays? There's only one God. Why are we trying to break that up? Our God, is our God a God of death but not a God of life? We all want God when we come to die. We want him near and want his aid then, but what about life? I had a fellow one time told me, he says, Preacher, and you know good and well, that on my deathbed, if I ask the Lord to forgive me, he's going to I said, there's no such thing in this word called deathbed repentance. Yes, I agree, you should repent. But what was your life before you got sick and was about to die? Oh, he had a God of when he was well, which probably wasn't a God at all, but a God that he wanted when it came time for him to die. One of the well-known atheists on his deathbed said, If there be a God, may he have mercy upon my soul. Well, that's interesting. I thought you didn't believe in God or that there is a God. But if there be a God, <laughs> it doesn't work that way doesn't work that way. Are we like the Japanese? Do we have one God for life and another for death? What kind of God do you think of and want when you think of death? Do you want the same kind of God in life? Where do you put your trust in God? You know, as we face the ups and downs of life, we need to heed the words of the wise man who said, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths.
Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. You see, it is at times like these that we must completely put our trust in the Lord. If you're here and not a child of God, we want to encourage you to become one. You see, the only one God, Almighty God, is the one that we should put our trust in and not all those other ideas of God's. And if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, John 8, 24 says that if you don't, you're going to die in your sins. And if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, are you willing to repent? That is to change your life towards that. Make things right. You've been doing it wrong all this time. God's Word gives us what's right and wrong. Helps us to understand that. But it's up to us to change our ways. To turn from those evil ways, those wrong ways. Luke 13, 3, Acts 17, 30. And then to make that good confession of the sweet name of Jesus. That I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That he came to this earth to live and die for me personally. And then go down into the waters of baptism. To have those sins washed away. The remission of sins. The forgiveness of sins. To become a child of God. Because the Lord will add you to the church. As you come up out of the waters of baptism. You're added. Stand. New Charles. New Christian. That can be you. But it might be you've done those things. You've obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. His death, his burial, and his resurrection. Romans 6, 3 and 4. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 through 4. But you've allowed... Satan to interfere. And maybe, maybe you've allowed a, a God of the Sunday being different from your God of the weekdays or so forth and so on as we talked about tonight. And maybe you haven't been putting your complete trust in the Lord to see you through those things. Well, you can make things right tonight. Repent of that thinking and then pray that God will forgive you. Whatever sin might be in your life as a child of God... It's going to hinder you. It's going to make you lost. Heaven will not be your home. But if you repent and pray, let us pray with you and for you, then heaven can be your home. We're going to sing a song of encouragement number 214, 214. And that's a song that I want you to realize the words of that song, how important it is. I don't think that Joe picked out that song haphazardly. He picked it out because the word trust is in there. But you notice that coordinating conjunction word, and he said, come, let's together we stand and sing.